As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing and we use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. If you love the show, be sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss new episodes. And if you want to support the show, please visit www.patreon.com slash killerqueenspod, where as little as $3 a month gets you early access to shows and amazing additional content. Now on to today's case. So the trial starts April 4th, 2017. The prosecutor is Susan Galloway and the defense is uh, Peter Bota. The judge is Judge Siraj Desai. And I really like, I like him as a judge. He's like, because the South African, they don't have a jury system. We talked about that in the Oscar Pistorius case. But I mean, that's a lot of pressure, I think, on one judge, you know, like one person to go through everything. But... Um, this guy was super, super thorough with everything. I mean, he really, really got down into the details and I just, I feel like he's a list maker. I like him. Yeah. I think he got down to business. He sure did. Yeah. So now we've got the state's case. Their first major point was that Henry was found alone on the scene. Um, I don't know. I could take that one or leave it because in what, scenario is the intruder still going to be there I think but that was one of their points that it was he was the only one there okay. that was still alive or sure. well after being examined by a doctor it was determined that his injuries were self-inflicted so this is a huge point for the prosecution the cuts were incredibly superficial and they were almost completely parallel and uniform so they were all like the same depth the same length and he had no bruises or scratches on his arms that you would have expected in a struggle. So, like, what they were saying is, if this is a life-or-death struggle, and this guy is fighting you, and you're pushing against him, like, wouldn't he have grabbed your arms really hard? Or, you know, wouldn't you have some evidence of a struggle? Not really. And he didn't have what would have been, could be considered a ton of defensive wounds, but it's pointed out, you know, by like forensic experts that pretty much everybody was like taken by surprise. So it's not like he had five people that he had to fight off at one time, you know, it's, right. these people weren't really able to fight back because it happened so fast. So, mm -hmm. but they were, they were all like, it was like somebody, I don't know, the image that kind of came to my mind was like, imagine if, 
you're wrapping a Christmas present and you know, you like take the paper and you got the scissors and you're trying to cut in like as straight of a line as you can. That's how his injuries were. But how he describes them is that while he gets them, he's in a struggle. So now imagine that you have a toddler pulling this wrapping paper all over the fucking place trying to get it away from you. Is that cut going to be a straight and smooth cut? Or is it going to be jagged oh, it's gonna be jagged and well. all over the place? Yeah. So that's what they were saying about these, these wounds that he sustained. They're not jagged. There's no movement to them. They're all very straight, very uniform. How are you going to do that when you're in a life or death situation where you're in an active struggle? And he says that he's in a struggle. So it just, it doesn't add up. They did have two experts testify that both said the wounds are likely self-inflicted. And in South Africa, this is interesting. If they do have an expert testify, but the accused also testifies if the judge thinks that the accused version could be reasonably possibly true so like reasonably plausible Mm -hmm. then he has to throw out the expert's testimony even though they both said it so it's one of those things where and I know like in here in the U.S. I've heard jury instruction kind of like that like if you hear any evidence but the defendant has a reasonable explanation for it. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, this person. Well, that's where we get reasonable doubt. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you've got a point here, and then the prosecution is saying, well, this is why. But then the defendant says, well, actually, you know, maybe it looks suspicious that I was there at the scene for whatever reason, but I was actually there dropping my kid off for a scheduled meeting that we had, and that's why I happened to be there or whatever. If if you hear that, and that's reasonable then you're supposed to take that and not the other so it's kind of like that but um it also kind of looked bad for the defense because they didn't call their own expert expert on this and they they said that they did actually consult with somebody who was kind of like going over i don't know information with them that had to do with something like this but then they didn't call that person. And so the defense is saying, well, we didn't call him because Henry's version is true. And so the judge is going to have to take that. But they said it actually kind of looked bad on his part that they didn't call it. So the next point is the estate's security level. So the perimeter fencing was tested that night and there was no indication of intrusion. The only inconsistency is that an alarm was triggered at 3.37 a.m., which would be kind of right before around the time of the murders. But nobody was caught on any of the CCTV. You know, there's nothing else that supports that. It's just there was there was a an alarm that triggered, and we don't know exactly why that is. The next point is that there's no evidence of an intruder. So they said there's no foreign fingerprints, no foreign DNA, no unidentified shoe prints, no sign of a break-in or a person fleeing. Um, there's no blood outside of the house except for two small spots. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. No valuables taken. They left laptops, handbags, watches. These are all things you could carry with you. You know, it's not like a big giant TV or something. If you're fleeing on foot, um, you know, none of those things were taken. The location and the severity of the attacks, they were all inside the house and basically either right outside or inside the the boy's room. And Judge Desai said it looked like a frenzy 
and that he feels like that leans towards a personal attack because everyone was asleep when the attack started. And if there had been an intrus- intruder, Marley or Teresa would have likely like run and hid to find help, but everyone is drawn to that area. So if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're hearing somebody's broken into our house, you're not going to run towards the danger. You're going to maybe run away from it. Lock yourself in your room. Try to climb out a window. Go call for help. Like, none of them did that. They hear something and they all come to it, which lends more towards, like, somebody they knew. Well, yeah, they trust that. Yeah. So, yeah. The time lapse and scene staging was another point the prosecution made. So there were hours that, you know, passed before Henry even tried to call emergency. And I don't know how long someone would pass out for. I can't make that kind of judgment call, but I have passed out from a, like a, don't make fun of me. If you have to, I get it. But it was, it happened and it was real, but I got into a go-kart accident. Oh, that was a bad accident. It was a really bad accident and I blacked out. Yeah. Four seconds. You know what I mean? Like I was just like, it was in and out. I don't know how long exactly it was, but I I know that I blacked out. Yeah. And I then don't it think came it, to. Yeah, it couldn't have been longer than a couple minutes. Yeah. Because by the time I got out there, you were already crawling inside. So I'm not saying that he couldn't have blacked out for two and a half hours. I'm just saying it, just from my experience, it was kind of in and out, especially yeah. with I lost more blood than it seems like he did. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He didn't lose very much blood, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, Rudy's body was moved and the duvet cover on the bed was moved. So the forensic analysts believe that Rudy was killed like up on the bed, but his body ended up being moved to the floor. Um, so it, that just kind of goes more into the, the crime scene staging and that ax where he says he threw the ax, the way that it like landed in the floor on the wall or wherever it landed it was it was like somebody walked up to it and stuck it in not like coming from far away they said so they said it was more of a controlled movement rather than jesus take the wheel i'm chucking this axe (laughs) kind of thing right um they also think that henry may have showered so rudy and henry's blood were both found in the shower there and Henry, of course, says, well, we could have, we both shave in the shower, like, we live there, you know, whatever. But the state says for that to be true, that they would have both had to have showered shortly before the attack. They would have both had to have cut themselves shaving. And then they, it would have not been cleaned before the attack. So the likelihood of them both shaving, both cutting themselves, that goes down. So... So he showers and then puts back on the blood-soaked shorts that he had on? That's just not good hygiene. Well, no, it's not. The axe was possibly wiped down. Uh, During all of this, Marley is alive. He's stepping over her body. Like, what's going on here? Yes. And he can see her moving. It's not like it's a secret. No. The axe and the knife were both from inside the house. That's definitely always a red flag. It's not 100% unheard of for intruders to either not bring a weapon. Like, I think if it's, like, 
kids who are like, there's nobody home. I'm just going to walk in and take some stuff or whatever. They're probably not going to bring a weapon. Um, and maybe sometimes you get surprised that somebody's home. You didn't realize that you grab some kind of a weapon from inside the house, but that's a lot more rare. Usually they're going to bring somebody with them or they're going to bring something with them. Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's just another point. The phone call, of course, he's not in any hurry to get help. He smokes three cigarettes while his sister is upstairs. He doesn't try to help her. Um, of course, his contrasting injuries that he had versus the family, their injuries were all around their heads and necks, much more severe than Henry. The blood path on Henry doesn't corroborate his story of passing out. So the the way that like the blood from his injuries kind of like dripped down or whatever was in a straight up and down. It was a vertical position. So if he passed out, it would be horizontal, I would think. You would think, yeah. If he'd passed out, he would have probably laid down or at least lost control of sitting straight up. He wasn't in a chair. He was like on the stairs. On the stairs. So when you're on the Gravity. stairs, yeah, you'd, you'd have to be sitting completely straight up and you're relying on your body muscles to keep you upright, not a chair or whatever. So he he would have had to have been sitting straight up but been completely not aware of that mm -hmm. for the blood to just continue to trickle down in the same direction. So that doesn't make any sense. In restatement, um, his statement was originally taken and he'd left out some details. So he kind of changed, ended up changing the timeline of when the family went to bed to try to give a reason for some of these other things. So during the investigation, police talked to a neighbor who said that she heard an argument and she was positive that it was an argument. And Henry says, no, there was no argument. And he says, Oh, you know what it was? We watched the new star Trek movie mm -hmm. that night. And they're like, well, you didn't mention that movie at all before. Like we asked you everything about the whole night. You didn't say anything about the movie. And he's like, well, I didn't think it was important. So, now he introduces this Star Trek movie, and he didn't have it before. So while he still maintains the intruder theory, he now is starting to add more details, and the state says you only add them when evidence is incriminating. So now you've heard that somebody heard arguing, so you're going to say, actually, that was a movie. Now you've changed your story. Well, we've talked about that before. Like, you don't change entire parts of the story. It's like maybe, oh, a... Uh, I guess I got that little thing wrong or... Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is adding a complete new detail that wasn't there at all before. Um, the blood spatter from Rudy and Martin in his original version, he was in the bathroom behind the door, um, but he has blood spatter from Rudy and Martin. If he's standing in the bathroom behind the door and they're on the bed over here, like... I don't think it would go that far. No. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe depending on the but behind the, the force, door. But behind the door, he would have been shielded by the door and the doorway. It would not have gotten on him the way that it did, and he had it all over him. So that part didn't add up. Um, there was no blood on the bathroom door, but Henry had blood all over him. So if he was behind the door there should have been blood on the door too yeah. for it to get on him. And it wasn't, he didn't run for help. He didn't try to help anybody. He didn't make any calls. Um, he did say that he heard 
Rudy gurgling at one point, but the forensic experts say that Rudy could not have survived his injuries at all. Um, and Rudy was attacked the most viciously. So it, but again, these are things like he's saying, I hear them gurgling. I see Marley moving. I hear her, you know, making noise, but he makes no attempt to help her. He also ends up adding in that now he hears two attackers because what the state is saying is that all of the injuries on everybody else are essentially the same force, the same, obviously used with the same weapon. They're all done in a similar way. And Henry's injuries are completely 100% different. So that would mean either another person did some of this or obviously Henry did it because he's using a different weapon on himself so he doesn't hurt himself too bad. And Henry's like, yeah, 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 okay, there's, yeah, there was two. Yeah, yeah, he does. So he's like, I never saw the second one. And even when they're cross-examining him, they're like, okay, so was there one or two? That's a simple question, one or two. He's like, I only saw one at a time. (sighs) And he's like, well, well, what do you mean one at a time? He's like, well, I never saw two together. I only saw one at a time. But when I was chasing them down, him down the stairs, I hear I heard a second voice when they were in the kitchen and they're running out. So at that point, I thought there were two, but I never saw the two. I only saw one and one at a time. But I think there were two mm, now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that doesn't. There you go. The defense now gets to make their case. So Henry did take the stand and that's not always, you know, a common thing, but he did take the stand. So he gave his version of events. Um, He was pretty vague with a lot of his answers, like kind of saying, you know, with the, well, I just saw one at a time and like, I don't know. He was almost kind of like snarky with his answers. That whole one at a time thing reminds me of that Friends episode where um, Ross and Rachel have broken up and it's Joey's play and Rachel's like I yeah no I need two and he's like but you just said I just need one she was like I meant me plus one. Oh yeah exactly okay. did everybody mean you plus one yeah. or and yeah I'm like, like no I just meant one she's like shut up <laughs> but yeah that's exactly what it's like and um he couldn't give the judge any reasons for why he didn't try and help his family from the intruder um I'm sure the judge was like Wrong answer, bitch. Yeah, like, what the fuck were you thinking? So they kind of attacked the DNA evidence, too, saying that the forensic labs where the testing was done were not accredited. And on that basis, if Judge Desai agrees and throws out the DNA evidence, then every single case before that case using DNA evidence would have to have then been thrown out. Because if Judge Desai looks at that and says... Yeah, it's not accredited. We can't use any of this. Then everything that they've ever everything, looked into yeah. would be accredited or not accredited. Yeah, so that would not work probably. The analyst of the DNA failed a proficiency test. That doesn't sound good. No, it does not. The standard operating procedure was not followed. Some samples that were taken weren't properly sealed. That's not good. Uh, the defense claims that these three points should make the DNA evidence inadmissible and completely excluded. I can't, I mean, I could see where they would 
that's that's damning <laughs> i think that's you know, pretty bad like yeah that. and you know somebody's life is on the line like if the dna evidence is fucked up and that's your main part of your case then you've got a problem you've got a real problem there um they did say though that if the dna evidence is admitted it does support support henry's version because he said that he only saw martin and rudy's attacks and the blood spatter on him kind of supports that he has martin and rudy's blood spatter on him but he doesn't have spatter from marley or Teresa. He did have a spot of Teresa's blood on the heel of his sock and no blood from Marley on him. Whoa. That's a little unusual. Henry's DNA was not found on any of the family members. Um, The defense said they had 216 samples taken, but only 150 or so produced DNA results. And pretty much that just meant that, like, some of them didn't have enough DNA on it to, like, give a definitive result but what the defense is saying is that you can't say there's not blood from an unknown person because there's so many samples that didn't produce dna oh my god dna (laughs) um that you can't rule out an intruder because you couldn't get dna from all the samples and that that doesn't one way or another prove that there was or was not an intruder in there right i mean Um, if you mix too many people's dna it's going to be inconclusive you can't figure out and and that that's another thing too is they if they were all attacked with the same weapon and like all in relatively the same area there is going to be a lot of mixture and there's probably a lot of mixed blood all over that axe like Mm -hmm. that's there's a lot there marley's dna was not on the head of an axe and experts said that the spatter that spatter occurs when the person is hit over and over in the same place or like in close proximity but Marley was hit in six different places, and that could have reduced the amount of blood spatter. Um, plus, she was the last victim to be attacked, and so it could have affected the transfer of her blood. So they were kind of saying that there was already so much blood on the axe that literally it was, like, too slippery for any new blood to adhere to it. Whoa. Yeah. Awful. The fact that Marley's DNA was not on the axe gave the DNA the opportunity to present the idea of a second axe and a second intruder saying that Marley's blood wasn't on that axe because it was on the second axe. So the judge would have to decide then if that's a plausible theory, because if there was a second intruder that attacked Marley, then that intruder fled with their weapon because the second axe was never found at the scene and there was really no evidence of a second intruder. So the state kind of came back and was like, well, the set the second axe with the second intruder would have had to have been brought on their own. I was gonna say, did they have the two axes and, and one just was missing that or something? Yeah, right. And according to the housekeeper, they just had the one, and it would be a real big coincidence that the intruder happened to bring the same exact fucking axe that they had in their pantry and brought it with them because all of the injuries are the same. Like right. they're they're in definitely length, with then, the same. Sure type of weapon and even you know different axes are different so it's the same exact fucking axe uh of course they're going to bring up that the alarm was triggered in the perimeter at 327 or 337 a.m and then henry was actually diagnosed with juvenile myoclonic epilepsy it's the most common generalized epilepsy and usually starts around 12 to 18 years old an expert doctor testified that henry experienced a tonic clonic seizure grand mal seizure 
explaining the gap in time from the attack to his call for help. He could lose consciousness or lose memory after a seizure. You're in a post-ictal state, and that makes you slower, dull, tired, limits your cognitive abilities, and could explain why Henry was calm to the emergency services. However, the doctor is basically having to use a time machine to diagnose him because it's been three years So, like, it's three years later that he diagnoses him. And so he's saying three years before this is when he had the seizure. Mm. And they don't even know if it was actually present then or not. So, you know. Reaching. Reaching, yes. Not all the shoe prints on the scene were tested. There were 35 shoe prints tested and matched everyone on the scene, like EMS police and stuff. But there were a lot more shoe prints than that on the scene. And so the... The defense is saying, well, what if one of those shoe prints was different or whatever? The state was saying, if we see a shoe print and it's part of a line, you know, that was obviously made by the same one, we're not going to take all 10 of the same exact fucking one because it's you walked with your shoe from here to right over there. I'm not going to take all of them. I'm going to take one Yeah, because I know they're all the same. For sure. That was their explanation of that robot from wally would have been so pissed whoa 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 remember (laughs) (laughs) like cleaning it up and he's like oh my god this guy again (laughs) i love that guy um of course his statement they said you know wasn't changing that he was recalling more details because of that seizure and that his memory had been affected they also said that the defense had no motive so All of the information that had been revealed, um, the state was kind of bringing up stuff about drugs and the fact that Henry was kind of like the black sheep of the family and like all of these things that he wasn't as like, he was actually had taken a gap year from college and he wasn't as accomplished as Rudy, maybe. Studious. Yeah. So... They were trying to say all these things, but none of them really stuck. Yeah, they felt like they weren't big enough for murder, and they didn't really have a lot of evidence to back them up. And they said that Henry and Marley had both been using WhatsApp to talk to their significant others that night, and neither one of them mentioned a big argument in the family. So, Hmm. you know, they're like... Maybe that's just their normal, though, you know? like Yeah, it could be. Um... (laughs) Then we have the toilet bowl. They use this as part of their defense. So Henry had said, remember, that he was in the bathroom when the intruder Sure, like there's something in in the morning. Yeah. So he says he didn't, the the Tracy Stewart in her video, she said he didn't bother with pleasantries, (laughs) which means he didn't wipe his ass. So he literally stood up. He didn't flush. So his little... Turds. His little turds were still in the toilet. <laughs> oh my God. And of course, you know, detectives took a picture of it. And uh, he had like a skid mark on his shorts from like his poops. Because he didn't didn't wipe it. Because he didn't wipe. Oh my God. Now I wonder Okay. Here's what kind of conversation are we gonna be having? About I know. This? Here's what I'm wondering. Sure. Could it have been? There's no way to carbon date those poops and tell exactly what time they happened, right? Right. So what I'm wondering is some people, their like anxiety or being in a very excited state can make you have to shit your pants. Sure. 
I'm asking for a friend. Like, I don't know about it. But well, like, you've heard about that's it. That's what I've heard about. Yeah. So maybe if there's a bad storm coming through, you might feel like you're going to shit yourself or, you know, something really big happens, you know, because like there's a big a, argument in the family or like you just murdered your entire family. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck, I'm going to shit my pants. Yeah. So maybe he crapped a little while he was doing it. Like, I don't know. But either way, I mean, because the defense is like, why would he sit on the toilet, be taking a dump, and then be like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm killing him right now. And pull his pants up, not even flush, leave his turds in the toilet, and then go and kill everybody. And I'm like, well... I mean, okay, but also... There's two and a half hours unaccounted for. That's plenty of time when did to go he, take a shit. Yeah, when did he poop? And maybe he's trying to, again, <laughs> who pooped the bed? <laughs> like, I, I pooped a little right now. I know, that's what I'm saying. I'm very stressed out. So, like, maybe this is another him, like, par- staging the scene. I don't know. It could, like... That's attention to detail, Henry. I don't think the poops are one way or another you know what i'm saying like i don't think it's a point for the state i don't think it's a point for the defense i think the poops are just the poops (laughs) and we don't know why yeah i think we need to get mr hanky in here as a uh, i don't know an expert on the situation what does he say yeah and his little son cornwallis He's got a little oh, little peanut coming out of his head. Jeez. Oh, it's funny goodness. stuff. I can't believe we just had an entire conversation for that long and you said the craps. Like you said so many words that Ben, your son, would be pissed about. He sure would because we don't say crap. We don't say crap. And then one time Andrew was like, Yeah, I ate a crap ton and Ben's like, We don't say crap and Andrew's like, Oh yeah, okay. Um, I ate a poop ton and Ben goes, We don't eat poop. Like, <laughs> get him ben we're teaching him we're teaching him well so we don't eat poop we don't know well you have someone in your family that eats it well our dogs do yeah but that's why we had to explain that we don't okay because he's like minnie's eating poop (laughs) like well we don't eat poop yes one other aspect was that they ended up doing a reenactment of the attack they actually had henry like get up and act his his version out and it was literally like a um, Bruce Lee, like choreographed movie. He's like, okay, my right arm came up here, his left arm came down, my right leg moved How like does this. My one even remember all of this. Yeah, and that's what the prosecutor was saying. She's like, no, the fuck, it didn't. Like you would not remember those details. You would just be like, we were in a struggle. It was a blur. Like for sure. But he went like basically motion blow by, by blow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was very, very uh, dumb and weird. Yeah. Sorry, those are the the cold hard facts. It was dumb and weird. Yeah. There were no blood droplets outside the house. So like what the state was saying was that if this was an intruder, they're running out, they're going to have blood spatter all over them, but there's no blood anywhere outside. Um, And the defense says, well, there were two blood droplets outside. So like kind of on the wall of like the, I don't know if it was the next house over or what, but like kind of on a wall. And so the state said is that the the force of the blows because the the windows are actually open in the bedroom that the force of the blows with rudy and martin were so strong that the blood could have flown out the window too a little bit and like landed so and it was just two teeny little droplets and it was against a wall so they're saying that doesn't support the intruder theory either Mm. martin's 
lacerations on his back were like really deep. And they said that the judge said he thought that maybe Martin was trying to lean, like lean over Rudy thinking that this is a fight between Henry and Rudy and that Henry is not going to attack him. Yeah. Trying to break it up kind of. Yeah. And then he just gets hit as well. So after a 67 day long trial, uh, judge decide does find Henry guilty and he's finally taken into custody and he ends up being sentenced to three life sentences for the death of his parents and his brother, 15 more years for the attempted murder of his sister and 12 months for the obstruction of justice. So the judge did sentence them to all run concurrently. Judge Desai addressed Henry saying that he brutally murdered three people in his immediate family and tried to kill a fourth. He never gave the court any reason or motive. It was cold-blooded and everything occurred. Everything that occurred warranted the most severe penalty under the law. There was no reason provided or compelling circumstances and no remorse shown. And the defense did appeal the case or the decision, and I watched, right after the judgment, I watched one of those Tracy Stewart videos, and she was talking about whether or not they would appeal it or if they could, and apparently Judge Desai, his decision was 300, over 300 pages long, and he went through every single detail of every single thing that was presented in court and why he found what he found on it, like why he found that this evidence was you know admissible or was supported or like whatever that is what judge decided i mean he literally revisited all of the evidence yes i actually found that quite a striking part of the day in court was the extent to which he really methodically went through absolutely every single piece of evidence that had been raised in the trial it was almost like a mini version of replaying the trial again and one by one he methodically struck out certainly all of the defense's arguments and reinforced each one of the state's arguments before reaching his verdict. Yeah. When he dealt with the point raised by the defense that Marley's DNA was not on the axe, he looked at that point holistically and he looked at other evidence that supported the fact that she probably was hit with the same axe. And that evidence was the fact that the wounds sustained by Marley were similar to the wounds sustained by the rest of the family members and that they were inflicted with the same force. And he said, look, it it was highly unlikely that killers fortuitously came into the house, two of them. One of them used a weapon from within the house. The other one brought a weapon from outside the house, which just happened to be similar to the weapon they found in the house. And then the second attacker went upstairs and then attacked Murrily in very close proximity to where Teresa was attacked by the first attacker um, with the exact same force and intent. So when you start to look at those factors, which um, I I felt that he dealt with quite well in his judgment, and I think that insofar as an appeal is concerned, it is actually going to be difficult to appeal on a point which I actually thought was quite strong for the defence. So she was saying that it would it would be really difficult to get an appeal because he was so very detailed in everything that they would have a really hard time doing it. So they did try to appeal three times and just last month at the time of this recording. So that would have been May, 2019 Henry's third appeal attempt was denied. And then in the other, the other thing is that Henry and Marley were kept apart for most of the trial. They didn't see each other for about five months after the attack and Marley didn't present any evidence during the trial and she was not in attendance. Um, 
I think that she is, I don't, I don't know if she's necessarily supportive of Henry, but I don't, uh, she's not speaking out one way or the other. Um, Teresa's sister is very much supportive of Henry. She thinks he didn't do it. Wow. Um, and he now has a girlfriend. So he, after the, after the murder, before the trial started, he was, he was out on bail. Um, or he was just out. He was free. They didn't, they hadn't uh, arrested him yet. He did go to school and he met a girl named Daniela Yunsei Van Rinsberg. And she 100% stands behind him. She thinks he's innocent. She says he's been open and honest. Um, she did think it was a little weird that he never talked about his family. And when they were dating, she found out about the murders because she read an article and recognized him in it. And he like literally just like never said anything about it at all. And she was like, well, now I understand why, because his family was murdered. So I don't know, but she 100% stands behind him. She's wasting her life away on some dude that's never going to get out of prison. I think because I mean, if he, so the life sentences are run concurrently, he's eligible for parole in 25 years. That would make him 58 yeah. when he could get out, which is fucking crazy to me. Yeah. That's still a lot of life left to live. Yeah. This guy looks so fucking evil. Like He does. He really his does. His eyes are he scary. He looks like a piece of shit. Yeah. He, 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 he just looks like he has evil in his heart. He just does. Like... I'm sorry, but he does. Well, I mean, that's not your fault, you know? Like, yeah. That's his fault. I'm, I just don't understand, like, this girl and being like, okay, I could move on. I could, like, have another fulfilling relationship with somebody who's physically here with me. But um, I'm going to just write letters to this guy in prison because I love him. That's insane to me. I don't know. I yeah. don't – I'm not going to begin to pretend to understand that. But no. I feel like she – could do a lot better yeah personally she could although maybe she's a nut job we don't know yeah we don't know so that's it that's the henry van breda case the dissolves of murders you guys are amazing and we will catch you next time love you guys love you bye bye get in on the conversation on facebook and instagram at killer queens podcast and join our facebook discussion group at killer queens podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s if you want to submit a case to be covered on the show visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form if we cover the case we'll even give you a shout out on the show killer queens is researched mixed and mastered by our own damn selves the theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Lilas! As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 